Ladies and gentlemen, you got Chris Thomas. Jamal Thomas. And you're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. What's going on, everybody? What's going on? How are we doing out there in TV land? Yeah, you know, today's not a sunny day in Philadelphia. It's a little cloudy, a little drizzly. Very fitting. Yep. Well, we got plenty. We got, still got plenty to talk about. You know, we got my guy, Car Carlin, from the Sixers Wire calling in at 530 to talk uh, Sixers all season with us. We're going to do- we're gonna talk about the first two games of the NBA Finals, the firing of Joe Girardi, and expectations for the 2022 season of the Philadelphia Eagles. If you want to call to join the discussion, the number is 215-763-9596. And speaking of the NBA Finals, let's get into it, man. So the first two games of the NBA Finals was held at Chase Arena. I have to get used to that. I, I get money's involved, but uh, I just hate when these stadiums get... It damn sure ain't Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, they used to smoke weed up in the stands in Oracle. Oh, really? Yeah, it used to get real, apparently. <sighs> Remember who you are. <laughs> the last thing the Celtics want to see. Yeah. But anyway, but Boston did what... Boston did their job. They tied the series up 1-1 going back into TD Garden for uh, game for games three and four, uh, Wednesday and Friday, I believe, or is yes, it Saturday? Yes, Wednesday and Friday, respectively. Okay. So, um, the Warriors had, obviously the Warriors had their typical Warriors third quarter in game one, but the Celtics were able to rebound with an unprecedented three-point shooting fourth quarter, led by the likes of Derek White and Al Horford, out of all people. And then... Game two, the Warriors clearly took that personally, and they decided to blow the absolute doors off of the Boston Celtics. And Jordan Poole decided to show Steph Curry how you Steph Curry. Yeah. And former process legend Nick Stauskas actually got his first NBA Finals minutes that game. Nick Stauskas is on the Celtics. Sauce Castillo could get a ring. Yeah. Joel Embiid doesn't have a ring. Yeah. Stay gets better. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what are some things that you saw uh, during the first two games? Uh, the physicality in this series, it's like Draymond Green, Gary Payton, and like, I would say maybe Andrew Wiggins can like match defensive intensity and physicality, but that's where I see the Celtics having if any advantage, the advantage in this series is being able to be more physical, being able to be the more. These are two stellar defensive teams, but I just think Boston can be so dominant defensively, so overbearing, and um, their ability to switch. Obviously, Golden State legitimately lives and dies by the three. Um, uh, you know, seeing Draymond be able to take over and kind of, you know, I won't say punk, but uh, kind of, you know, intimidate Boston a little bit in game two. I'm interested to see how when they get to TD Garden. Um, it's funny now, like, if you think about it, we just made the joke about the whole Chase and Oracle thing. If you think about all the teams that were left in the playoffs, like, even if you just go back to what the Final Four was, right? Mm-hmm. The only team that had a real home court advantage is Boston. Like, for however you feel about them, for however racist they might be, whatever you want to say about them, Boston fans show up, and they're loud. They know how to cheer, and they know what to cheer, and they know what they're watching. You wouldn't you wouldn't say Mavericks fans wouldn't know how to cheer? 
Fairweather fans, I'm sorry. They haven't had enough sustained success for me to count them as real fans. I'm just okay, being so honest. you're counting the sustainability also for home court advantage as well. Well, yeah, because, like, if you don't count the 90s, right, Boston has mattered playoff-wise for the better part of three of the last four decades. Which is longer than that. Longer than that. No, longer than that. Like, you know what I mean? If you're going back to Bill Russell and Kuzi and Havlicek and all those guys. So, there's, like... I don't know. Like, I feel like when you're in certain arenas, and obviously, you know, I've never been to TD Garden, but I know, like, being in the arena for Allen Iverson games and Allen Iverson playoff games, it's a different energy when your team and your stadium is locked in. It feels like you're just giving your energy to this team and willing them to play a better game. And um, I think you're going to see some of that in game three in Boston. Boston, I think, is going to come out with the energy. I think if Golden State wants to stay in that game, they're going to have to uh, weather the storm in the first quarter. Um, obviously, Al Horford and Derek White and guys like that. And just Boston in general is probably not going to shoot the way they did in game one. And some part, and obviously, they didn't do that in game two. I think another thing to put that towards that or consider that about that is Jason Tatum also isn't going to be as bad as he's been the first two games. He's eventually going to break out of this slump. Now, I could be wrong. But I think Jason Tatum is eventually going to break out of this. But I think if any game is the game for him to do it and to be able to do it, it's going to be game three in Boston. All the marbles on the line. You know how we all know the numbers and how things go. Game three and game five in tight series. You win game three, you win game five, you generally win that series. So this is the first step of the most two most important games in this series besides whatever the closeout eventually is, is that. Whoever wins this game is now in the driver's seat. And if Boston wins it and you're up 2-1 in Boston with a chance to go up 3-1, that puts all the pressure on the Warriors team that a lot of pundits were picking to beat Boston. Um, Man, just even the Ime Udoka-Steve Kerr uh, matchup, um, just Golden State, also, just, I'm rattling off random points that I'm noticing in these first two games. Um, Man, Warriors depth. And, like, their depth for the future. Like, when you think about, like, man, Andre Godala wasn't on this team for most of the playoffs and it didn't matter. And I get it, he's not Iggy anymore, but, like, he can still be a great integral part of a team. There's a reason he's been in four of the last five uh, NBA Finals. Um, and playoff contenders won't pick him up every single year. Every year. <laughs> Until he decides to retire. Um, As far as... You know, GP2 and Jordan Poole and, you know, Looney and, 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 and obviously Looney's a vet, but he's a young vet. Wiggins, a vet, but a young vet, a vet who's never been in these type of situations. It's like their window for a team who we thought for two years window was gone for their window to be this wide open again and counting this year. It's it's honestly astonishing. And it's like it's a master class in team building. And, you know, as much as I. Uh, I, you and I being Sixer fans are Boston haters. These are the two teams that truly deserve to be in the NBA Finals from a, we'll call it a morale, morality standpoint. Like, they, this is the right way you build a team. But, like, from a grassroots, grassroots, which you would want to see an NBA team built like. You'd want to see guys go through trials and tribulations together and and stick together and keep your core together and keep changing pieces around the core until you find what fits around your core guys. Like, this Boston team is a Boston team that got blown out in five games in the gentleman's sweep last year against Brooklyn. And now is, you know, three victories away from hoisting the Larry O'Brien. 
So, you know, I guess we'll lead into our Sixers um, section of the show a bit later. But I just think that that speaks to that of just like everybody's like, oh, man. There's not, but there's a world where James Harden comes back in shape. Embiid is obviously Embiid. I don't know what we do with Tobias Harris, but you tweak some things around the perimeters and get some some younger athletic guys and smarter things and fire Glenn Doc Rivers. We could be in the same position next year, but that won't happen because we're not a well-run organization. But I digress. Um, I'm very interested for game three, and I just think whoever comes out with the most intensity, these teams are so evenly matched. It's just literally as cliche as it sounds. It's going to be who wants it more. Yeah. And the biggest thing about these two teams is that, as opposed to, you know, what the Sixers don't have, is that there was only one voice throughout this entire process that Boston went through in terms of them building. It was Danny Ainge, the Jason Tatums, the Jalen Browns, the Mark, drafting Marcus Smart, uh, develop, um, getting Grant Williams to develop, get developed by Brad Stevens, Time Lord. Developing. Uh, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, uh, Bruce Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Pritchard is a former uh, director for WWE, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Wrestling brain. Peyton Pritchard. Got it. But, and then when you look at the Warriors, everybody talks about, you know, oh, uh, Mark Jackson, no, he was the one to build. I'm like, no, Jerry West was the executive during that time. Um, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I thought Jerry was the executive with the Clippers still at that time. He went to the, I believe he went to the, La- no, he went to the Lakers first. Yeah, that was the where he Then he went to the Warriors. Then he went to the Clippers. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So he had his hand in Steph Curry, you know, making that decision between Monte Ellis and Clay Thompson. Obviously, he picked Clay Thompson. That trade that they made originally for Andrew Bogut, which at, paid dividends during that time. It Huge dividends. Them. Yeah. Because when Andrew Bogut was, the kid just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, but when but he was healthy, healthy, the guy was a defensive there was, scout. There was a reason he was a number one overall pick. Don't yeah. like, don't you? We're not gonna sell him stuff. Sure, injuries are injuries, but Andrew Wilkins was a force when he was on the court. Yeah, uh, Draymond Green, second rounder, and like when Steve Kerr was like, you know what? Yeah, Draymond, get him to start the lineup. Iggy, you're going to go on the bench, and then you, these new pieces that they got, Jordan Poole at the end of the draft. I mean, granted, Jerry West isn't in there anymore, but the blueprint was already there. And then Bob Myers, who's the owner. Him and his guys decided to like, you know what? Let's just continue this formula uh, until it just doesn't work anymore. Because everybody now at that point, like even with the addition of Kevin Durant, you everybody had to play catch up with the Warriors. It, they were literally the Floyd Money Mayweather of the NBA, where it's like you've ne- like say what you want about Floyd Money Mayweather. Say he was overrated, he was ducking people. There was never a single Mayweather fight in which Mayweather had to dictate his pace. To the opponent. No, they all had to pay his pace. And that's what the Warriors did. They all had to play to their pace. Like, oh, man. Oh, uh, wait. We got to pay Harrison Barnes how much? Yeah, we're going to use that money to give him Kevin Durant instead. Yeah. Wait, hold on. How much for DeMarcus? Wait, DeMarcus Cousins coming off a torn Achilles? Yeah, get over here. Oh, cool. Sean Livingston and Andre Godala need a place to go? Cool. We'll get them. So, it's just a master class of just like, short. Getting Kevin Durant was a significant part of it because you had the best you had the best player to the best system in basketball. But when you're looking at this team now, it's like everybody who is a core piece in terms of what they are doing was all drafted by that team. And it's the same thing with Boston. Like like sure, like you had your years when you drafted uh when you got Gordon Hayward in free agency, the Kyrie Irvings, the uh the Kemba Walkers. 
And even though when they didn't fizz, they didn't plan out, they still had their core, and now they're still in the finals. So you have two teams that have had their luck in free agency in terms of getting guys who tried to put them over the top. They, their core in terms of developing and keeping that continuity in because a few months ago, back in like December when the Celtics were losing, they were talking about splitting Tatum and Brown up. Yep. But you know what that? But you know what that happened? The calendar year happened. They became number one offense and the number one defensive basketball. And it's funny that I'm about to dwell on something weird, but there's somewhere in there there's a world where if Doc Rivers is an idiot and Joel Embiid is. I'm sorry, I can't keep defending an idiot because I'm not saying he shouldn't have said what he said after the whole Ben thing. I'm not saying Ben take it the wrong way, but just like there's a world where if we still have Ben Simmons, I know it sounds crazy. I think we beat Miami. I know it sounds crazy. It's revisionist history and blahs, 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 blah. Ben Simmons can guard Jimmy Butler. And that was the difference in that series. Go back and look. Jimmy's the difference in that series. No, I'll say this. It we played in game six. Don't get it wrong. But I don't I don't think we could. I'm just saying it would. Listen, in the end, it would be nice for somebody outside of Tyrese Maxey to run back and transition defense. Wouldn't it have been nice? Yes. You know who would you know have ran back in transition defense? Ben Simmons. You know who would have missed rotations? Ben Simmons. You know who would have guarded Butler one-on-one for all six games in that series? He would have. Exactly. So for all the things that this and this is not to be like, like I said, once again, our vision is because I was all for getting hardened because I understood the situation. But I also was a big proponent in if he wants to come back, you let him come back, which is what I understood. Maury was trying to wait for trying to figure out if any way we can fix this. But once you can't fix but, it, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But however, I will say this. The shooters were cold. I don't what shooters. Exactly. Ben's like, let's be real. No. What shooters do we have? Yeah, exactly. So, even if Ben was still here, what about that series in terms of shooting? Well, I will say this. Ben Simmons could actually get to the basket. So, in those same... Also, the same high pick and rolls we ran for... And I get it. People were like, they would just drop coverage. So, guess what happens when you drop coverage and you pack the paint? That normally leaves shooters open, right? But they weren't playing drop coverage on James Harden because they're like, we don't care if you shoot and you can't get to the basket right now. So, we'll live with whatever. So, they were just playing it straight up, which means people could stay home and all you had to do as the big man was not get caught up behind and beat on the pick and roll, right? But with Ben, you would have to worry about him going past you to drive past you, drive and kick, which is his game. And if you fill the paint up, then you're still sagging so far off the shooters that unless you're mean. Miami's pretty good closeouts. Shooters would have better shots. I'm not saying the shooters were necessarily cold because they weren't more open, but I am saying shooters were cold because they weren't more open. But I digress. I'm sorry. Um, I just It just bothers me now that we have a team that feels fat, lazy, and unmotivated. And I thought, like, when Joe stopped being fat, lazy, and unmotivated, we were done with that. And now it just feels like that's where our team is. We're like, we got a bunch of guys. It just feels like we're old. Everybody's knees are aching and all this, that, and the third. And it's just weird. It's very weird. Yeah. And it just goes to show you, it's like, we're literally at a point where it's like, Embiid is literally the giant piece of duct tape that is trying to cover up and stop, trying to stop a dam from overflowing. Exactly. That's literally what this team is. I mean, if you're if you get to a point where it's like, okay, if Harden comes back healthy and the hamstring's fine and he's able to semi blow past, you know, slightly average defenders at that point, sure, that's a different story. But 
I don't know what to do with this team. And more importantly, as as grim as this sounds, I don't trust Doc Rivers and I don't trust this front office to do the right thing. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We're in a we're in a different position than I won't say every other team. Some teams are worse managed than we are. But I think for the generational talent we have, there's no more mismanaged team in the NBA with a with a, like just see and I and I get it, they're different types of players, but just see what the Mavericks have done for and around Luka Doncic. Cash Christos Porzingis ain't working out for you, buddy. We'll get him out of here. You need more ball handlers, we'll get you Spencer Dinwiddie, we'll draft Jalen Brunson. What else you need? You need wing defenders and shooters. We got Dorian Finney-Smith for you. You know what I mean? That team is built from the seat. They're only, I'm telling you right now, they're a piece or two away. That's it. Um, a, a, a Rudy Gobert big man, uh, someone who can control the lane and, and, and not Rudy himself, but someone who can control the paint and make sure that they're not getting dominated inside and maybe one more perimeter scorer that can, that can handle the ball. And they're ready to go. They're missing a Joel Embiid. Can we not? Right? Why? Why? Um, because I'm right. <laughs> no, because I just I'm already depressed enough, and I don't need to think about us trading our best player to the Dallas Mavericks. Even though for me, is Dallas being my second favorite team, I wouldn't hate it. Oh no! Like this all season is going to be really terrible for me because the Sixers aren't going to do the right thing, and the Suns are about to go back to the dark ages, and <laughs> it's going to be terrible to watch because DeAndre Ayton's pretty much all but gone. The Suns don't want absolutely nothing to do with him. They don't want to pay that kid $30 million. I wouldn't either, but it's got to pay him something. Yeah. I would wait. He's a restricted free agent. I will wait and match the offer. Oh. No one's going to pay him max money. Ooh, you know what would be a good thing if Charlotte paid him max money? The only thing Charlotte's missing is a reliable big man. I'm not going to say it's the only thing they're missing, but like in theory, like you got LaMelo. I don't know what a healthy Gordon Hayward looks like anymore, but Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, DeAndre Ayton as a big man. You bring in one more piece. That's an interesting team. Yeah. Interesting DeAndre played Ayton landing spots. I would say Charlotte, Sacramento, because I think he could play with DeMontis. Um, they'd have to get off of that Harrison Barnes money though. Indiana would be a great place for him, but I just think they're gonna keep Miles Turner. You could do a sign and trade. Miles Turner for DeAndre Ayton. Honestly, I mean, okay. The only reason, the only reason I say it is, I'm assuming you guys are bringing Chris Paul back. If you're not bringing Chris Paul back, I'm not gonna say tear it down. But at that point, it wouldn't be worth I'm not going to say, all right, how am I trying to put this? Because you guys won 64 games, right? You re- you remove Aiden and Chris Paul. You're a 47 to 48 win team, you'd say? Well, not even that. For, like, we're, we're a playing team. Nah, I'd say you're an AFC 7 to C. Okay, no. Be, look, you're, you're replacing Chris Paul with Cameron Payne. Let's just say Cameron Payne and undisclosed free agent. Got to bring in somebody. I don't think you can start. No, but here's the, yeah, but then you're replacing DeAndre Ayton with what? Javel, what? Thirty-four-year-old Javale McGee. Nah, you bring in. Some, that's why I think they're not just gonna let him walk. You have to do something to get that replacement. Oh no, I'm one hundred percent. I think the Indiana signing trade makes sense, dude. No, Halliburton, no, Buddy Heal, DeAndre Ayton. Oh no, that's I, a nice starting I, block no, I for think Indiana. For regardless, whatever they're gonna do a signing trade to like, and Ayton's gonna be gone. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Atlanta. Like. 
You could do a sign and trade. You get Capella and maybe like Gallinari. I'm just thinking of money to match. I, I just I wouldn't hit. Listen, we're gonna lose regardless. I've so that's what I'm saying. I think the Atlanta situation. Atlanta has so much depth. You could pluck a couple of guys to help in the rotation. And if you get Capella, here's the thing. With I'm gonna be real. Losing Paul, Chris Paul is gonna hurt more than losing Aiden. Let's be real. So that's gonna depend on if Chris Paul, which ain't nobody turning down thirty seven million dollars, he's coming back. Yeah. The only thing is, is he gonna be Chris Paul? Because this is the second time you guys have played into late May and June. This is the second time he's gotten hurt. His body now has seventeen he gets hurt years. Every year. His body now has almost eighteen years of experience on it if you count playoff games and all of that and add it up. Probably closer to twenty. The man's body's gonna go. And normally with guys like him, it happens fast and rapid. And it hasn't happened yet. But I could totally see him slumping to start the year, and then you guys kind of coming out the gate slow, and it's like, oh, what's going on with Phoenix? And I think to get blown out like that on your home floor um, in a game seven, like some teams you can watch their spirit leave their body. That Suns team was playing with so much confidence since the bubble, and just for it all to come crashing down in that one moment was – Oh, no, that's why I say, like, honestly, right now, I wouldn't be against them potentially tearing it down this season because I already saw the writing on the wall. Chris Paul isn't going to get any younger. Um, Devin Booker is what he is. And we have the bunch of guys who are really, or just 3 and D guys. We don't really have anybody else outside of Devin Booker who's able to go off script and, you know, get his, get off his own shot. DeAndre Eaton's going to be gone. So the thing is <coughs> that – you got to look at next year where it's like the Clippers are going to be healthy. You're going to have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard back with who who knows what type of moves they're going to be doing in the offseason. Uh, the Warriors aren't going to go anywhere. Dallas is going to get oh, better. The Clippers are going to be back. That's going to be hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, like, all the top, like, all those teams that I named, like, if Chris Paul just continues to be on this decline, we're not going to be better than them. These past two years has literally been – the window of opportunity for us to win a chi- for the Suns to win a title, and they just weren't able to capitalize. Whether it's you didn't have, where it's like you, you were so undersized and under prepped defensively, so you had to put DeAndre Jordan on, on Giannis, or just the fact that you literally played uninspired basketball with the season online and you lost by forty. Normally, like when I see, normally when you see a loss like that, you normally see like yeah something's wrong. You got to tear this down. That was a pretty bad loss, dude. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> pretty terrible loss. Yeah, it was bad. You know what that remind? You know what that? You know what that remind me of? What? Remember that season where we went, where uh, we played the Orlando Magic in the first round, and Game Six was here at uh, the Wacob. Oh, I was here. Yeah, I was there with no Dwight Howard, and they washed us. Yes. We were like, we're going to push it to seven. We're going back to Orlando. I don't know if we're going to beat him, but we're going to take it to Orlando. He hit Washed. The- Washed. <laughs> like, Michael Petrus was hitting threes and transition. Marcin Gortai, like, like, who the heck is this guy? Your favorite center of all time is who he is. Yeah, three years later. Polish hammer, baby. <laughs> I hate Marcin Him and Nikola Pekovic. This is the most Eastern European physical, no, no bunnies having... Post move, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though, they were ahead of their time. If they were here in twenty twenty. They'd be perfect backup centers. Oh what? He'd be hitting trail threes now and everything. Oh yeah, duh. They, they literally would. Li- they're literally like a slight step up of Stephen Adams. Exactly. 
Don't do that to Steven Adams. Don't do that. Don't do what? That man was in the playoff. Doing what? That man was in the playoffs. Doing what? Huh? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that man was in the playoffs. Doing what? Starting for a playoff team for a two seed. That got smacked, but that's not the point. They also lost their best player. But um Yeah, no. Um I don't know, man. But I'm afraid for Phoenix. I'm not gonna lie to you. Oh no, I, I I'm we're gonna go back to the dark ages. And by dark ages, I'm so it's so sad that every time you say it, you give like this psychopathic smile where you're like, "I'm embracing this. I'm not gonna cry." Listen, I'm not gonna cry. You do re- I'm listen, embracing this. You do realize I've been a Suns fan since 2004. So Steve Nash is second stint of the team. They've been bad more than they've been good. They literally had an entire decade of them not being in the playoffs. I literally had to watch them. Field, he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna start Eric Bledsoe and Goran Dragic as our backcourt. We're gonna try to with the Morris twins." <laughs> and you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna start Gerald Green also. I'm just like Marquise Chris is our start. <laughs> He's like, "Damn, we got the number four overall pick." Oh, dang! Who do we get? Dragon Bender. Who? Not to be confused with Jonathan Bender. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Look. As as much as people want to talk about, oh, I can't believe we draft Ben Simmons number one. It could be a lot worse. You could draft Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris as top five lottery picks. Back to back drafts. Yes. Man, and Josh Jackson. Don't forget that. Don't do that. Ah. ah. I had high hopes for that, man. I felt. Ah. <sighs> ah. Y'all drafted DeAndre Aiden instead of Luka Doncic. Ah, it hurts. We drafted Kendall Marshall. That's a process. Let's process legend Kendall Marshall to you, sir. No, it's not. no, no, no. He's Kendall not. Marshall was out here averaging like twelve assists a game for like ten games. Don't do that. You know that's how. Listen, we only signed boys to ten day contracts. Oh. Don't forget this. Oh, dude, yeah, congrats. Yeah. Jarvis Bernardo out here. Yeah, yeah, dog. No, congratulations. He's on that same tier as Isaiah Cannon, dropping them nine threes in one game. Don't do that, and Isaiah. And for that one game, for that one game. Isaiah Cannon was out here. TJ McConnell, former process legend. Now, solid NBA player. Robert Covington, former process legend. Now, solid rotational NBA player. The Clippers are going to be nasty next year, by the way. I just want to let everybody know that. Because they have confidence now without PG and without Kawhi. Now, the other thing is, is Kawhi's body done? And I ain't talking about the BBL. Yeah. You also have to think, like, he hasn't played basketball in over a year and a half. That, that means nothing when you're a guy like him. He's yeah, shooting right now. Yeah, that's still that's a lot, <coughs> but that's still a lot of rust, and you got to shake off. Yeah, but that's what the off season is for. Like, if you think about it, let's just say he's healthy nowish, right? Yeah. Or let's just say he's healthy by July. From July to October, he's balling. He's banging and pick up games. He's going to play with guys. I'm sure he's doing. I don't know his schedule. I just know most of the NBA guys. So I'm assuming he's going to play some sort of. And I get it. A pickup game is not NBA game, but it's not like he's just going to come from shooting stationary shots in the gym to be like, all right, guys, ready for the game one. Yeah, but you know the difference between like just pick up ball and like actual like NBA. Yeah, I know, but it, it's all, it's more about, like, a guy like him, like, the reason I say a guy like him is he's so wired to play the game in a correct way. His body takes care of, like, all of these things. He's the last guy I'm worried about with Rust. I'll give a wrestling example. It would be like if Randy Orton got hurt and came back. I don't think there's going to be ring rust because all he does is work out and wrestle. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is what he, his body's 
programmed to do that. So if you want to say he has he has a propensity to probably get injured again, I could agree with you on that. But Rust and Kawhi Leonard, like that's a hill I don't think you should die on. That'd be like if Giannis gets hurt. Are you really worried about Giannis needing to knock off Rust? Like he, does he seem like the type of guy that's like, man, I'm not gonna be ready and I'm just saying, up. like, there's a difference with Luka gets hurt. Mm, he's gonna come back. He's been smoking hookah, hanging out with Croatian girls and stuff like that. He a wild boy. That's different. All right, that's all right, Luke. That, but the thing is, is that Gian, if Giannis gets hurt, Giannis hasn't had a long term injury. It's like, all right, listen, my ankle hurts, like my shoulder hurts. I'm going for a week. So you're speaking on his propensity to be injured, not necessarily to his ability to knock the rust off. Because you said you think he's going to be rusty. I don't think he's going to be rusty. Do I think he get hurt again? A year and a half, yes. I'm just saying a year and a half not playing like organized basketball and him taking his time doing it, that's that's a lot for me. Like, granted, if he comes back, I feel like he's still going to be, what, 25, 5, and 5? That, like, that's, let's call it, like, worst case scenario. Like, think about it. All right. KD, what, took two years off, essentially, with the Achilles and came back and was, what, that first season, what, 27, 5, and 4 or something like that? Or 27, 7, and 4? I'm not saying KD and Kawhi, they're the same level of player, though. they both in the NBA 75 for a reason. I don't have any doubt that Kawhi will come back and be who Kawhi is. Okay. Now, will he get hurt again? I'd say there's a 50 to 60% chance of that. But do I think he can come back and be one of the best? Now, let's just say that I will give you this. Maybe it'll take him time to adjust and get back to him again fully fledged. But yeah. um, do I think he'll just be this rusted? Nah. I think, and then, and then you got to think this is a team that knows how to win without him. This is a team that also will have a healthy PG who you saw PG play towards the end of the year. Yeah. They won't need him to be Kawhi until the playoffs, truthfully. And we've seen there's a lot of playoff round on playoff this. Playoff Kawhi is different. We as Sixer fans know for a fact. The Mavericks fans know for a double fact. Playoff Kawhi is different. So that's why the Clippers, oh yeah, by the way, I'm picking the Clippers to win the West next year. I know people have been doing it for the last three straight years, but I think this is the year where they're fully dismissed. Everybody's like, yeah, whatever. And I think that's where the Clippers thrive. The people picking them, nah. But people being like, eh, Kawhi's washed up, his body's done. Ah, Paul George ain't who he thought he was. Ah, the supporting cast. <coughs> no, don't get me wrong. Marcus Morris is overpaid. Luke Kennard was overpaid for most of the season until he turned it on. Reggie Jackson, is, Mr. June, has been out here. Um, I love Zubach. Like, I think they have a great rotation. Obviously, you have uh, my boy um, Tyron Lue over there. Yeah. So and 6.30, we got a 6.30 call with Kai. Hey, Kai, how's it going? Can you hear us? Hey, Chris. Uh, I can hear you a little bit. You sound a little low. All right. How about now? A little better. How's it going, man? How's your, va- uh, how's your vacation? It's going okay. It's going all right. I'm- you know, enjoying the pool. Weather's warm. It's nice. It's, uh, I've, I've had a few, you know, adult beverages here and there. It's, it's been a good vacation so far. Yeah. That's good, man. Um, so um, I've been reading, like, a few of your articles in regards to the NBA draft and, like, who the Sixers should and should draft. I read the most recent one about getting a guy out of uh, LSU. He's six foot, six foot eight. Uh, can you elaborate more on the uh, logic behind that pick? Okay, so Tari Eason, which he's actually, that was actually a mock draft performed by Sports Illustrated. And Sports Illustrated had uh, Eason going number 23 to Philadelphia. And Tari Eason is, he ticks off a lot of boxes for Philadelphia. You know, he's, um, he's a very good perimeter defender. Um, he's not the greatest shooter just yet. I think he shot somewhere around 
36% from deep last year for the uh, for LSU. I think on like two and a half, three attempts a game. It was kind of a low volume. Uh, but he, he's a guy who can get out there and really just bother the hell out of opponents. He's, he's got a dog mentality, which is something that the Sixers have really missed. I mean, Joel Embiid really talked about a lot. That's the game six loss in the Miami Heat. Kept talking about how they don't have a P.J. Tucker type of player. So a guy like Tari Eason would kind of check off a lot of boxes for the Sixers just in terms of bringing that mentality to the team that they need, uh, being a solid guy off the bench that, that can be relied upon, uh, a guy who can provide a lot on the defensive end as well, somebody who can flash the basket or even you know knock down a jumper when needed. Uh, you know, like that. There's there's a lot about Eason to like. Uh, so yeah, like if he but uh, if he's available at 23, I would be shocked if he gets past Philadelphia there. Okay. Yeah, I've seen some of his highlights, and the one thing that definitely stood out to me it was just like, hey, this guy can run a transition. We only got like two guys on the entire roster that can do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, um, that's a really interesting pick. Uh, another guy I also saw is uh, the kid from Ohio State, also six foot seven, EJ Liddell. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, if he's available? Would you be okay with that pick? Yeah, I think Liddell would be great for the Sixers at twenty three. And I, again, we're talking about a team that desperately needs depth, right? Like you know, that was kind of a, a big, big thing when it came to this team. You know, looking back at this past season, looking at their regular season, looking at their playoffs, uh, the Sixers need depth. Now, granted, um, any anybody that gets 23, whether it be Liddell, whether it be Jake Hardy, whether it be uh, Eason, all of these guys need time. All of these guys are going to need, um, you know, time to develop. So then you, the Sixers could go the other route where they could trade this pick. Now, granted, everybody, I'm sure they'll be confused and be like, wait a minute, they can't trade their pick because of the 2023 pick going to the Brooklyn Nets. However, the Sixers can't trade this pick on opening night. They can trade it opening night, which basically, or excuse me, not opening night, draft night, which basically would be they would select a player for another team and then just, you know, trade that player so they to whoever they agree to in principle before the draft. So I, I, I feel like the Sixers would definitely try and move this pick again because and I've said this a couple of times, Joel Embiid's prime, it, like, it's not going to be as long as a lot of other stars' prime, especially when you consider the injuries he's had to sustain over his career. Yeah. And um, so um, another thing that's going to be, like, a looming um, thing that's going to be on the Sixers all season is the status of Tobias Harris. Um, is he going to be back? Is he going to get traded? Um, so what are your thoughts about the status of Tobias Harris coming back for the 2022-23 season? Yeah, Tobias Harris is an interesting player, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who can do a lot of different things out there for Philadelphia in terms of, um, you know, just versatility, being able to play both forward spots, although obviously he's power forward. Uh, he can knock down the three ball. Um, he shot 40% from deep once the team traded for Harden. I thought he played very well in the playoffs um, on both ends before. I thought his defense against Pascal Siakam round one, mm-hmm. and then even against Jimmy Butler in round two, I thought it was really good. Just both guys are just they're they're all NBA type players, so they're going to make they're going to knock down tough shots all the time. So I thought Harris was really good. The thing is though, his production still does not match his contract. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he is a prime candidate to be traded this offseason, especially when you're a team like the Sixers, who again you you are trying to win right now while Joel Embiid is in the prime of his career 
where he is in, where he is among the best players in the league, where he is, you know, you know, like, this is, he's a dominant big man, you know, like they're, they're, it is him and Jokic, like in terms of the, you know, the best big man in the league. So at this point, you made the move for James Harden. You might have to really kind of move on from Tobias Harris to see what you can get for him. Maybe clear some cap space before free agency. See if you can maybe grab a guy like Zach Levine. Um, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're a team that has a lot of cap space. They would be able to absorb Tobias' contract, at least before Shea Gilgis Alexander's max contract kicks in on uh, July 1st with the, with the uh, beginning of the new league year. So, with the Philadelphia, uh, like, like there are a lot of different, um, you know, there are a lot of different avenues that they can go with Tobias. Uh, just it'll be interesting to see how they get it done, just because of his contract and, and how much money he's making and how much how many assets they will probably have to attach to a deal. That's what uh, what will make it tough. Yeah. And um, another potential trade candidate that I've also saw is uh, Matisse Thybul as well. Uh, obviously, uh, the one particular team that I heard that's seriously interested in him is uh, Chicago. So. If there were a potential deal between Philadelphia and Chicago for uh, Matisse Thybulle, like how how would a deal with like that look like? Well, I just want to say the Chicago rumors. I mean, I don't want to really call anybody out, but it was kind of a BS report. The okay. Bulls have no interest in Thybulle, at least okay. not at the moment. So, all right, um, it was kind of a BS thing. Like Sixers and Bulls, they haven't talked. So there's nothing about that initial report that is true. So. You know, you can kind of toss that out the window. Okay. The Sixers aren't the Sixers aren't going to trade Bible for any for just for nothing, um, because they still believe in the kid. We're talking about a guy who he's a non-factor in the offensive end, but we're talking about a guy on the defensive end who is absolutely a stud. You know, he, there's a reason why he's made all defensive teams. You know, the last two years. Um, the big thing is you really have to make sure he makes some type of progress on the offensive end of the floor. I mean, I mean, Thibel has been, you know, he's been great on defense, but offensively he's a non-factor. The, the Miami Heat did not give a damn that Matisse Thibel had the ball in that entire round two series. They didn't give a damn that Matisse had the ball. That's, that is the big thing that he has got to work on over the next summer, uh, this, this upcoming summer. He has got to be in the gym putting up like a thousand jumpers a day. He's got to, because if he comes back the same player, then, yeah, you got to treat him. Which is why right now there's even rumblings of the Sixers maybe even looking at a trading. I mean, he's been in the league three years now, and really he's been the same player since he came into the league. Which uh, he's been great defensively. I mean, offensively he's made improvements here and there as an off-ball cutter. That's kind of about it. So, you know, there are going to be options out there to trade Matisse, and and I'm sure there there'll be some type of talk. But in terms of that Chicago rumor, yeah, ignore it. It's not real. Okay. Um. You know, we're gonna keep. I'm, I'm gonna keep this short. I'm, I don't want to hold you up for your, your time. But the last question is about uh, James Harden. I, uh, what's the status? Do you really think? Do you think he's gonna opt in, or do you think he's gonna opt out and take a team friendly deal? Well, you don't just opt out of forty seven million dollars. <laughs> so, like, like at, at that point, this, that's probably gonna be the last big, you know, contract that James Harden's gonna have in his career, especially with the way his career is going. You know, we're talking about a guy who's thirty two years old. Um, Clearly on the downcline, uh, of the undoubt, the, the decline, I should say, of his career. Um, you know, the hamstring injury has really bothered him a lot. Uh, he's still obviously an all-star type of talent. We're talking about one of the better 
playmaker, one of elite playmakers in the league. Like he's done wonders for both Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris. Um, once he got here, uh, and that's obviously he's not the the big offensive threat that he used to be, though. And then that's kind of what the Sixers were and Sixers fans were expecting out of him. But yeah, there, there's, there, there, I would be shocked if he opts out, and if he does opt out, like maybe the Sixers talk to him about it and say, "Hey, we're gonna." We're going to work something out with you in terms of you know a long long term deal, and then they can go from there. Or you, you know just you, you you have Harden opt in and then see what he does this year, and then make a decision next summer in 2023 whether to extend him or let him go or let him walk. So there's going to be a lot of decisions that Daryl Morey and Elton Brand are going to have to make over the next you know year or so. Because even if Harden opts out, now you got to work quickly to get it done. Some really like you know before for agency and things on things of that nature, and if he does opt in, then you have to make a decision whether to maybe move him at the deadline if it's not working, or next summer, do you let him walk as a free agent or do you extend him? Mm-hmm. All right, guys, usual good stuff. But one last question: now, you're a Detroit native, so who do you want to see uh, get, uh, on draft night? Uh, you know, don that uh, Detroit Pistons uniform. I would like to see either Keegan Murray or Shaden Sharp. Uh, I'm actually very surprised to see like the you know Sharp getting getting such bad reviews and things like that nature. I think he's a I think he's an incredible athlete, and you know if you talk about the Pistons, you know pretty much anybody will be able to fit next to Cade Cunningham. So um, at that point, you know you see, you kind of need a number two star. So I would like either Keegan. I think Keegan Murray can be you know a really good player in this league. I also think Sharp can. Um, they kind of got the bad lottery luck with number five because they were kind of in that mix for the number one pick. I think they were. Uh, they had. Uh, the, I think they were in amongst those three teams that had the best odds at winning the number one pick and ended up dropping the five. So that's tough to see. But no, you add a guy like Keegan Murray or Shaden Sharp, and you're like, listen, you get him on Dwayne Casey, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, guy. As usual, good stuff. We uh, appreciate you um, hearing from you and uh, giving in your insight. Can you uh, tell the people where to find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Kai underscore Carlin, and you can always find myself at SixersWire.com. And he does not believe Ant-Man and the Wasp is the best Marvel movie of all time. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, take it easy. All right, Chris, thank you for having me on, man. No problem. Once again, you listen to 98.5 WJY, the running back sports show, Sports for the Culture. If you want to call to join the discussion, the number is 215-763-95. But six. Well, yeah. Um, so the Sixers have a lot of soul searching to do this all season. But you know who's ahead of that process in terms of soul searching? Our four game win streak Philadelphia Phillies. Happy days are here again. Joe Girardi was fired over this uh, last Happy weekend. weekend. <laughs> you know, before the uh, Angel series. And. We won three straight, and we and Sunday was an amazing game. Coming back all the way from five nothing, six two ball game. We saw Bryce Harper grand slam, and then we saw a walk off from the rookie. Bryce and stop the Vegas connection. Yep, to win the game nine seven, and now we start our three game series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Correct, the first place Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, All right. NL Central leading Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, and there are three playoff spots this year, right? Or is it two? There's the three division winners. Yeah. And then the 
two wild card teams play each other. I thought they added the play. I thought they added the playoffs, but anyway. But I checked. We're only three. We're only three games back from that. From the wild card? Yes. It's not bad. With ninety nine games left to go, let's do this, baby. And right. also, let's be honest with ourselves. The Mets aren't going to be hot like this all season. They have to. Baseball is a game of ebb and flow. Unless you're just one of those teams that wins one hundred and eight games or something. But baseball is a term of ebb and flows. They'll lose five of ten, six of nine, something like that. We just have to get hot at the time they get cold. Yeah, that's why. And I then hope the Braves don't heat up because yeah, that's the know, Braves' favorite thing to do. Yeah, you know, I told myself about the Braves last time. I'm just like, no, don't worry, they're gonna lose as usual. World Series, don't worry, they're gonna lose as usual. They're World Champions. I'm like, I hate everything about baseball. Yo, baseball is a sport that like allows our rivals to win the most often. It bothers me. Like football is great. Dallas stinks. New England's terrible now, and they don't have Brady, so I don't have to hate him. All of our ops, as the kids would say, are pretty much dead in football. So it's like, cool. If the Eagles suck, the Eagles suck. But it's like, I don't have to watch anybody be great. Baseball is the opposite. It's like, the Braves are great. The Yankees are good again, even though I don't hate the Yankees. I'm sorry. I'm secretly a low-key Yankees fan. Sorry, guys. Um, uh... You know, like it's just like the Nationals winning a chip after we get break. We chant. Do you remember opening like opening night against the Nationals? We chanted, "We got Harper," and then they won a ring. That's the ultimate L. No one talks about it because they've stunk since then. But that's the ultimate L. We still got Harper, and they still got a ring. We still we got our MVP. We got our first MVP since Ryan Howard. We were celebrating MVP like it was a ring. That's an individual accomplishment. That's going to go on that man's mind. Hey, listen, listen. You understand. We didn't go down Broad Street for that. Do you do realize the entire per- the history of the Philadelphia Phillies? We're losers, right? Yeah, so we're the first team to 10,000 losses, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to take my wins wherever I can get them. <laughs> no, no, no. Take your dubs. Please do. I'm just saying, though. Oh, none of this is Bryce's fault. Like, let's, let's be clear. There has never been a better and more well-worked out. Obviously, you know, he winning a ring would make it. Like cemented, excuse me. There has not been a better, and you know, so obviously some OG could tell us differently or whatever. There's never been a better free agent signing in Philadelphia sports history. Never. A guy who's committed himself to the city, understood what it meant to be here, and has performed at every step since he's been here. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, he's balling this year too. Yep. With a bad, with a bad arm. With a bad arm, can't play the field. Still like third in the NL in home runs. Speaking of balling, Mookie Betts, Jesus. Sorry, you know I got to shout out. Listen, it ain't, my, it ain't many of us in baseball, so when we cooking, I got to shout it out. Oh, okay, then, yeah. yeah. Shout out to my boy Tim Anderson. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> one time for the one time. <laughs> you got to show love. I got to get myself a White Sox. I'm going to get myself that jersey. Tim Anderson White Sox yeah. jersey? That's a hard jersey. Yeah. Should we just get all the black baseball player jerseys? We That'd be fire. Yeah. We got to start with the greatest of all time, Don Brown. Dominic Brown? 2012 All-Star Don Brown? That, yeah, the very same one. He was cooking that July, dog. <laughs> I love how you didn't say that season. You said he was cooking that July. Yeah, because, listen, my man, was, my man pulled a Ben Simmons that year. He literally did enough to get into that All-Star game. Just to be like, yeah, I was an all-star. I was that boy. Then he just fell off. Terrible. Yo, there's a, like, you know what's funny, though? We talk a lot about the multiverse, but it's like, there's literally a universe. Where Darren Ruff, Don Brown. Mikel Franco. Uh, and all these guys are just, uh, what was it, Tommy, what was it, Tommy Joseph? Tommy Joseph is DL. 
DH. DH, like, we're, we're just. So we got like, Cesar Hernandez and Freddie Galvez front running the middle. Yep. Tyler Cloyd's our ace. You know what I'm saying? We would have been out here. Yeah. Nope. Terrible. We just kept Charlie Moore. And there's a, there's a multiverse where we don't stink for 10 years. It's crazy that we've been bad for 10 years straight now. Yeah. It's crazy. But it's funny because we got spoiled by the core four. And then we remembered, oh, yeah, we're the Phillies. We always suck. No. It's a core five. Who's the fifth person? Cole. Like I said, the core four. Four of those guys will be Hall of Famers. One of those guys won't. I'm sorry. Love Cole. Four, four of them are going to be Hall of Famers? Jimmy. J-Roll. I'm sorry. J-Roll. Chase. Ryan. Oh, yeah. I guess I was trying. Chooch is not going to be Hall of Famer. I love Chooch. No, you're right. All three of them should be in the Hall. I'm They're probably not. I'm, truthfully, the only person that probably has. Mm, they all got injured. Chase might be the only person that has the numbers to get in. Honestly, if I had to truthfully, pick, honestly, if I had to pick my bets about who's probably gonna get it out, all of them probably, probably gonna go J roll. It's let's be real, it's probably gonna be Chase, and you know why. I'm not even gonna oh, yeah, say. I, it. I know why. Let's be real. I know why. Just, <laughs> let's be real. Oh, yeah, I know why. I'm just saying, <laughs> numbers wise, though, it probably should be J roll. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm looking at the Golden Gloves. I'm looking at that MVP. I'm looking at that ring. I'm just saying. But let's be real, we know. But all jokes aside, though, the reason I think it's Chase is because if you think about it, let's go the last 20 years, right? The only second baseman you can say that's been better than him in the last 20 years is Jose Altuve. Robertson Cano? Look at the numbers. I'd take I'd take it, Chase over Cano. Better defender. Could hit for contact. He could hit for power as well. You could put him anywhere in the lineup. I would say he's the best second baseman in the last 20 years besides Jose Altuve. It's the only person I'd put above him. If he had an MVP on the docket, it would look different. But because he didn't, I thought they were going to go back to back to back. I thought they were going, Jay, I thought it was going to go Ryan Howard, then Jay Rule was going to get it, and then Chase was going to get it. That would have been ill. But they robbed my mans. It's okay. It's okay. Because Roy went in the Hall of Fame as a Blue Jay in the Philly, which I thought that was awesome. Because his family could have definitely been like, ah, he's a Blue Jay. And not a, we'd have just had to be like, okay. <laughs> like, but nah, he went in this both, and it was awesome. Yeah. Listen, even though he's not going to be Hall of Famer, Doug, you got you, you to show some love for Hollywood, man. Hollywood Hamels? Yeah. I never called him that. Who called him that? Who? Please, someone call into the show. In my trip, did I just miss a whole wave? Did you just make that up? Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood, baby. <laughs> I heard it once. I forgot where I heard it from. I love how your poker faces got worse and worse. Wait a minute. Did you just make that up? Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Maybe I did it. Maybe I did. That's what we go with though. Hollywood Hamels. He was like he was a California he was like the him and Chase Elliott were like the least California dudes I've ever met in my life. And people were like, well, they were just laid back. They weren't like cool. They were just like nerdy California dudes, which is fine. But it was just weird. My man's from San Diego. Leaked him a break. <laughs> Chase Elliott still has also the second greatest sound clip in uh, uh, Philly sports parade history behind, uh, obviously, Jason Kelsey's speech. Took that over. Yeah. God. I haven't watched that speech in so long. Yeah. I think we should rewatch that speech soon. It was so good. I guess that's a segue into the last topic. 
the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I mean, I don't really think it's much to say, but I'm not going to say Super Bowl or bust, right? I, I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm just still thinking about it. I'm like, Chase, I mean, Cole Hamill's last game as a Philly, he pitched a no-hitter. And we stunk that year. Who cares? Listen, didn't we just didn't we just get over the Super Bowl? It's like, listen, we always stink. Take your wins where you can get them. I will. Bryce Harper is an MVP. Bro, like, look, like, bro, we grew up in Philadelphia, dog. We were nerds. We took whatever wins that we got, got took it from us. Yeah, you're not wrong. Like, 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 bro, like, growing up, like, we get the we get a bad drawn number. We get a bad drawn number, and she at least checks back, hey, that's a win. It's a win. Like, like, like in the words of Hawk in, in, in Endgame, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> Heard. Heard. <laughs> you know what? You're right. I'm sorry, Cole Hamels. You are a Phillies legend. For, just for disrespecting you, I would get a Cole Hamels jersey and wear it to a Phillies game, and we will document it on the Running Back Sports Show Instagram. <sighs> Super Bowl or bust. Hollywood. Super Bowl or bust. I'm going all the way. We're the best team in the NFC. I'm sorry. Calling. We have the best offensive line. Our receiving core is the best. Look at our defense. We're ready to go. We're going to the bowl. I called it in 2017. I'm calling it this year. Five years later, how he's going to do it again? Yeah, you and know this time it's going to be a black man hosting that Larry O'Brien. Yeah, you know that guy. You know the best player in the world. You know that 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 just recently won a Super Bowl, just re-upped it, and it's now the highest paid player in non-quarterback in NFL history. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he's not retiring. That's fine. We not the 49ers. <laughs> you take that for what you want. That could be a negative or a positive. But I will say this. If I had to take Jimmy Garoppolo or Jalen Hurts, and I don't normally say this about Jalen Hurts. I'm, you know me. I'm very skeptical. Give me Jalen Hurts over Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy can't get out the pocket. He can't make Aaron Donald work for it. So you're a sitting target. Joe Burrow, as much as I love him, as mobile as he is, he can't get out the pocket. Also, you know who can dominate that front line and run against them? We can so if you're saying that you think the Rams are our number one competition in the NFC, are you saying that? Giving yes. them the defending champ yes. card and they got they're they're the champs until they lose? Yes. I'm not afraid of them. Not at all. Like not even a little bit. I'm supposed to be afraid of Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. You don't have to be afraid of Tyler Higby. You don't have to be afraid of Cooper Cup. I don't think no receiver, nobody in the league is afraid of Cooper Cup. I'm supposed to be afraid of Cam Akers. But here's the thing. You don't got to be afraid of Cooper Cup to catch that ball, for him to get that ball over the top on you. You don't got to be afraid of him catching the ball over the middle. I'm sorry. Cooper Cup literally won the Triple Crown last year as a wide receiver. No, he was a monster. Yeah. One of the best receivers he ever. He had a monster playoff. He should have won Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, exactly. So, it's just about it's just about giving the chance to do. No, they're the champs until they lose. I mean, I'm going to lose Shaquille O'Neal. We're the champs until we are no more. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I agree. I'll be honest. They're the least, I won't say the least convincing Super Bowl champion. That was going to sound mean. Hmm. Oh, you're just being disrespectful. No, that. I'm trying to think of how I'm going to word it because you're going to know what I mean when I say it. They are the Super Bowl champ. Like, I don't even care about seeing their America's game. And that's, like, my thing. If anybody doesn't know, like, when the NFL produces the whole America's Game series, I love watching, like, the team talking about how they got their journey there and, like, them interviewing the guys. It's, like, my one of my favorite sources of media. 
I don't care about theirs. I don't care about them. I don't think they're that good again. I don't think they were that good this year. I don't think they would have beat Green Bay. I just think Green Bay doesn't match up well with San Francisco. Some teams are about matchups and about being in your head. Something about Kyle Shanahan-led teams versus Aaron Rodgers-led teams, no disrespect to Matt LaFleur, something ain't right there. I mean, it's not even Matt LaFleur. It's even those problems were still there. McCarthy, that's why I said yeah. that's what the, I'm keeping Matt LaFleur out of it. So I, I say that to say I'm not convinced this is this was the best team. I'm not even convinced they were better than Tampa. They almost blew a 27-point lead. Let's let's not forget that. There's a world where if Brady gets that ball back one more time, you and I know what was going to happen. Like, let's be real. Okay. but Like, let's be real. Like, yes, BG got him in the Super Bowl. If Brady would have got that ball back, you know what would happen. Okay. You're saying all that stuff, but let's let's be honest. Like, you're, you're telling them, that, oh, they're not even better than Tampa. We're not better than Tampa either, bro. I think we are now. I think we are now. I'm serious. I really do. I think Jalen Hurts having someone who can get open at any point, not a scheme, not anything, somebody who can physically five yards on the line, excuse me, get out of my way, I'm open, will help. Full season of Dallas Goddard as number one receiver. Devontae being able to dominate number two outside corners. Quez, Zach Pascal, and whoever else you want to throw in there. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is a backup tight end. Way better than J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And we're going to have the best blocking receiving core. People are like, why is he talking about blocking receiving core? We're going to set an NFL. I'm going to make a bump over there. We're going to set an NFL record for rushing yards. Remember what the Lamar Jackson, Mark, uh, Mark Ingram, and all that team did? We're going to break that record for most rushing yards in the season. I think going into this year, we're not going to start with the season with this whole, let's try to force the Jalen Hurts throwing the ball 35, 30 to 35 times a game. Nick realized very quickly that's not going to work. That's not how we're going to win games. We're going to win games by smash my run. Then when you start to put eight in the box and be like, hey, make one-on-one throws, now we have guys who can beat people one-on-one. Let's go. Let's go get it. I'm telling you, let's go get it. Who you, sc- you scared of San Fran with Trey Lance? No. Sorry. You scared of Minnesota? They're going to implode before the playoffs. They're the, they are the NFC Chargers. Let's be real. You know I'm right. Like all the time in the world, you love to watch them play, but you don't have any actual faith in them. The Seahawks with Drew Locke, stop it. We saw Kyler Murray in the playoffs. He could bounce back from that, but he could also not. Um, anybody else you want to name that you think you're scared of in the NFC? Obviously, you got A-Rod, but I'm being honest, and we are both A-Rod stands. Come on now. We're not the 49ers when it comes to that. A-Rod cooks us every single time. I don't care about that. I th- My biggest goal, all I care about, and I mean this, if we got the number one seed, we're going to the Super Bowl. That's we we're not a not to say we couldn't be a good road team because we were a pretty good road team last year, and obviously home court advantage, home field advantage hasn't been. But if we're a number one seed next year, the way we rock for our team general, but in the playoffs, nobody's going to come to the link. Nobody wants that smoke. Let's be real, nobody wants that. You know it. I know it. All these fans in attendance know it. We're going to the Super Bowl, Chris. I was the end of my TED Talk. Okay. That's just, that's just wild. Like, as soon as we get A.J. Brown. Eagles, Packers, NFC title game in the link. And since you want a real prediction, that's my prediction. Eagles, Packers in the link. But my Chargers and Bills prediction was wild. 
it was wild, but it. I mean, didn't say it couldn't happen though. And why would have no? I'd have been like, you out of pocket if I'd be like, no, that's not happening. You wild for that because you trusting the charges. I'm not mad at you trusting. I'm not mad at you trusting Josh Allen. <laughs> Let's get that. He was 13 seconds away from going to the AFC title game. I'm mad at you trusting the charges. And you know I love me some Justin Herbert. The wild part about it was you think the Chargers not only are going to get in the playoffs, you think they're going to win more than one playoff game? Look, because it hasn't happened before. That's exactly what you're doing for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. You haven't seen. We got a ring. I'm being paid. <laughs> oh my god! I don't care. The Chargers got any rings? They looking real. You looking real ringless over there in my Riley Freeman voice. Oh. <laughs> I'm just saying, the addition of Khalil back. You got J.C. Jackson. <sighs> you arguably have one of the best secondaries in the league right now. Do you see the division they have to go through? I love Justin Herbert. Like, I want the Chargers to cook. Do you see the division they got to go through? Even if they win the division, it's going to be the equivalent of, like, when Cena won the Elimination Chamber. Okay, and let's, then, let's, and then okay, okay, okay. let's really break this down. Because you, last week, was questioning whether the Chiefs were going to be good or not or play playoff caliber team or not, yeah. especially, with the, especially with losing Tariq Hill. Yep. And basically, out of everybody, everybody who's lost their star receiver, I don't think nobody's going to be affected more than Patrick Mahomes losing Tariq Hill. Yeah, so be a totally different team. Yeah, so that you have to count that and the fact that your defense wasn't really nothing right, nothing home to write about. Also, it was the fact that their offense is so explosive. From, from a talent standpoint, they're the worst team in that division. Okay, and you're okay. We're talking to the Denver Broncos. Okay, a that was a team that if Teddy Bridgewater was even Teddy Bridgewater from Minnesota, they make the playoffs. Let's be real. They're the biggest. They're the best. What if team over the last five years? Let's nah. I wouldn't say that because they never have had competent quarterback play for the last five years. There's nothing you can do about that. Okay. Unless you're. Let's be real. Let's break this down. Unless you're a historic level defense, you can't get by with a trash quarterback. It's not possible, especially in this day and age. Let's be real. Like if you ain't thirteen Seahawks, you ain't no fly zone. You ain't two thousand Ravens. You're not getting by without at least. Above average quarterback play, let alone elite quarterback play. Okay. Think about it. Who's the last Super Bowl champion that didn't have at least elite quarterback play? I'll wait. The twenty fifteen Broncos. I rest my case, didn't I just name them? Yeah. Who won it the year before that? Okay, but is the twenty fifteen Broncos on that team right now? No, but okay. it, uh, Russell Wilson is. So okay. what are you saying? Let me ask you a question. No, I'm not talking about Russell Wilson. I'll get to him in a second. Okay. Who on that defense right now can get you at least ten plus sacks? Who um, on Denver? Bradley Chubb and Grand- Randy Gregory. You high? I know Randy Gregory likes to get high. Are you high right now? <laughs> Bradley Chubb? Don't do that. Bradley Don't Chubb. do that. Don't do that. Bradley Chubb. Don't do that. Bradley Don't Chubb was a monster before he got. Check the stats. You got I, I am. The Googles work. <laughs> <laughs> the Googles work. <laughs> we just not using English. <laughs> uh, you got me flabbergasted, talking crazy. Okay, the last time he actually had double digit sacks was literally his rookie year, which is what twenty eighteen. Yes, he was injured last year. Okay, twenty nineteen. What did he have? One sack. He was also hurt that year. Yeah. Okay. Twenty twenty seven and a half. Okay. Shortened season, no off season, seven and a half sacks, and then he was hurt last year. He got hurt last year. How many sacks did he have? Zero. Okay. So the one time he was healthy. He was a double-digit sack guy. Once again, I don't argue ability versus injury. Injury Availability is the best ability, right? If you're saying, hey, this guy's injury-prone, I'll shut up. If you're like, hey, Bradley Chubb can't get 10 sacks because he's going to be hurt, 
I'll be like, Chris has got a point. But to say he doesn't have the ability, to, you said who in that team can get you 10 sacks, not who will be healthy enough to get you 10 sacks. That's, that's he, those two kind of intertwine, intertwine with each other. They really don't because I still believe to this day Carson Wentz, whatever is going on with him, is more to do with him having gotten injured than him ever not being able to play football. Would you agree or disagree with that? It's also here. It, this, who was he before that, though? He had all the confidence in the world. Once that once that injury happened, it was done. Nick, He watched Nick win the Super Bowl. A, a, a more mentally strong quarterback comes back from that. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I think we can agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. But we know that that's really what killed him, having to go in that stadium every day and see that as a statue of Nick Foles, who got to duel with the GOAT in what should have been your Super Bowl. I want people to really think. I'm going to go on a quick tirade about this whole Carson Wentz thing. And everybody loves to give opinions about something. But I would love you to think that. Imagine you meet the love of your life. This person where you just know that they're the one. And you did all the work in. You put all the work in. You go to marry this person and you die. And then you got to watch. Or you go into a coma. Let's say you go into a coma. And then you watch someone marry this person and do all the stuff you thought you did but better. And then you come out of your coma and you're like, honey, I'm back. And they're like, I'm already in love with somebody else. Not not from the coma aspect, but you pretty much just described the the, the entire plot of Castaway. Do you see my point? <laughs> my man is over here talking to a volleyball like he's his only friend. My point being is that injuries play a part. But if we're just, we're, this is the offseason where everybody's healthy and there's all this wonderment. Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb is a great uh, uh, bookends for a team. And I think they can easily both rep. If they can get to a con, I don't care what the combination is 12 and a half, 7 and a half. I don't care if the combination is 11 and a half, 9 and a half. I don't care if it's 10 and 10 a piece. If they can give you 20 sacks, the other eight guys who have to be in that rotation only need to come up with 15. 35 sacks means you're at least the top, let's call it 12 to 15 team in sacks. That's that's not true because we were thirty. We had thirty-one sacks last year. We were second to last. But that's the thing. If you look at the numbers, there were like fourteen. Middle, no, middle of the pack is between forty. It's like it's like at least forty. Who led the league in sacks? Uh, Steelers. The Steelers. They had fifty-one. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me double check. I believe it was the Steelers. I think it was the Steelers because White had twenty-two and a half. Yeah. Did he, t- he tied the record? Right. Yeah. They didn't count one of his sacks or something like that. Yeah, Miles Garrett was second in the league. Miles Garrett was a monster last year. Double check. Du, 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 du. Nope, not. I don't. Not that. Once again, you're listening to the 98.5 WJYN, the Murder Bass Sports Show. Sports for the Culture. We want to call this on the discussion. That number is 215-763-9596. We are talking NFL. So if you want to get our opinion on anything NFL related, this is the number to call. 215-763-9596. Where is the sack numbers? I don't care about any. Team sacks will also. But yeah, but overall, like, I don't think the Broncos. I don't think the Broncos. I don't think the Broncos are going to be a playoff team. I just don't. I don't think. I don't. I think only two teams from that division are going to make the playoffs. Maybe even one because they're going to beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> And truthfully, this is gonna sound crazy. The Raiders are in the best position to make the playoffs in that division. Oh no, that's that's no, that's I have the Raiders. Com- I have the Raiders for the second in that division. Yeah, you said you have them coming in second. Yes, I have them winning the division. Really? Um, in the last game of the season, with the season on the line and a chance to go to the playoffs, who won? 
I'm confused. My memory is short. And then you add Devontae Adams. You add Josh McDaniels, who, whatever you want to say about him, the boy can scheme some offense. This is a guy who made Kyle Orton and Jay Cutler look good. Um, so, I ask again, Chris, where is this Chargers faith coming from? And I'm a Justin Herbert super fan. He's in the A-Rock club for me. I've seen enough. Because the fact is, is that scoring in this third year, you really don't need to touch that offense right there. No, you don't. You got Eckler. He can do everything. You got maybe one more back. Maybe somebody to spell him. Yeah. But it was still that Chargers running back committee. Like, Keenan Allen is still a really good possession receiver. You kept Mike Williams. You, you got Jaleel Guyton. Yeah. Um... Who their uh, who's their tight end? Parnum, Par- yeah. Parnam, Donald Parnum. Yeah. yeah, remember that Hunter Henry's he's in New England now. Yeah, uh, Rashard Slater solidified the offensive line along with him and Corey Lindsey. The biggest issue was him the is defense. that yeah, was the defense. If Bosa's healthy and Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna get yeah, to right. Both, yeah, Bosa and Mack coming off your bookends, you re-solidify your secondary with Derwin James. I, we finally saw last year a healthy Derwin James. So, so it's the first time since rookie year. Yeah, exactly. So if we get a healthy Derwin James for 16, 17 games this year, along JC with JC Jackson, Asante Samuel, was three year over there. They still got Casey Hayward, or he's going. Jason Jackson, Asante Samuel. No, but they got Bryce Callahan. Okay. Yeah. It's a good nickel corner. Yeah. Yeah, if you got one and two solidified and you got Bryce Callahan as your Nick Lock, I don't hate that. Yeah, then you also picked up Sebastian Joseph Day. Not a world beater, but but in the three four system, you just need him to eat space. Yep, you need him to eat up space in the run so that uh Opens who are their linebackers now? Uh let's see. Kenneth Murray. Okay. Uh Bolsa's come Bolsa and Mack are coming off the edges and uh Drew Tranquil. Listen, if you're playing alongside those three guys, what more else do you need to do? That's why I feel like Chargers fans, when they got the news where he lost because they're right, like hurt them because I feel like that's what have been his position. But, but man, I like Justin Herbert every single year. Like for me, there's just a guy which, for no other reason why I like I like this quarterback and I can kind of see the trend the trend where he's not going forward. A few years ago, I saw it with Baker Mayfield. I'm like, listen, just build this build this guy up. Just surround him with a little more talent. You'll be able to see what they're able to do. And granted, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. And in any other scenario, I wish you were in that third or 15, which had Henning running for 15 yards, they stopped him 100 times out of 99. Yeah, let's be real. Let's yeah. be real. But, like, then the year before that, I saw it with Josh Allen. I feel like this is going to be the year for Justin Herbert. There's too much talent in the ASC where it's like, okay, you got your usual suspects, but I feel like this guy is going to definitely take that leap. And speaking of Cleveland, are you are you sure about that Cleveland pick, man? Yep. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. You want me to be an analyst or uh, from a moral standpoint, it's getting weird, to be honest. But from uh, what they're going to be when they, if, as long as they can float a ship to whatever, like he might get a year suspension. Yeah. Who knows? If still haven't levied anything. But uh, it's getting worse and worse by the second. Now. Six, 66 masseuses in 17 months. That's nearly a masseuse every single week. And at that point, I'm just like, I just, I can't ignore this. Talent be damned. I just, this is weird. It's very weird. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like, I, I think that's the best way to describe what it, 
yeah. what's happening. It's just weird. Yeah, and it's like I re- I read the New York Times post, and then like I saw the text that he be sending. And I'm just like, bro, what are you doing? And the thing is that you, you guarantee you just made two hundred thirty million dollars. And if you oh, Cleveland, this is gonna be a public relations nightmare for Cleveland. Like, oh, if he gets some sort of crazy ban, it's gonna be wild. Yeah, and it's like you paid, you already paid this man, and if you get a year suspension, you have no backup plan. I mean, the backup plan is to just. I mean, honestly, I want to say pack it in for you. I was gonna say pack it in for a year, but what's the? All right, Cleveland worst case scenario, right? He gets a year suspension. Let's say they stink. Let's say you get a top five pick. You're adding a top five pick to a talented roster, and then you're getting back a guy still in his prime. Still, he'll only be 27 years old or 28, I guess, at that point. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think – but when you have a talented roster that was really on the door, knocking on the door in the AFC Championship game, a guy like Nick Chubb who eventually you have to pay, you already paid – uh, Kareem Hunt, um, that Miles Garrett money is still fresh off the press. So I'm uh, pretty sure you paid Denzel Ward also. There's just way too much talent for you to just, you know, quote, unquote, pack it in for a year just because Deshaun Watson gets suspended. So mm-hmm. I think the only way that you could possibly – the only way you could potentially salvage the season if Watson gets suspended is that if – and Andrew Barry just, just just swallows his pride and just like, yo, Baker, just play for a year. Play for a year with this offense, with this brand new team. Deshaun has to Deshaun spend it for a year. Play with this team, up your trade value. Then after that, you can go into free agency. You can command whatever kind of money you want from anybody else. Because right now, Baker Mayfield, no one's going to trade for him. So if there is a potential in which Baker Mayfield could still be a starting quarterback in this league, if Watson gets suspended, just say, you know what, screw it. I'll play these eight games. I'll get my trade value back up. And if Watson comes back, I'll be the, I'll be the ultimate teammate and just sit back and just wait for free agency and then just wait to get paid. True enough. Yeah. Because it honestly right, could work. It honestly could work. I think that's why they haven't traded him yet. Yeah. I think their plan is, listen, you play, you, you, your, your trade value sucks. But the only thing is, let's say they won a Super Bowl with this man this year. <laughs> That's that Joe Flacco money. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. It kind of is. <sighs> Just rude. Just for the record, uh, my co-host shared, shared me a tweet, which I disagree with. But anyway. <laughs> Listen <laughs> You're listening to 98.5 WJYN, the running back sports show, sports for the culture. If you want to call to join the discussion, the number is 215-763-9596. That's very rude, by the way. That is incredible. I love to see that. Sensational. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Reportedly, you know, new features. Madden 23 just came out. Apparently, there's a new inebriated, new inebriated uh, tackling system. There's that way the, the 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 cuts and the shifts look, the cuts and the the route running looks a little more realistic this year. But let's be real, nobody cares about that. 
It's the same thing every single year. It's the same product. Am I gonna buy it? You got you damn right I am. <laughs> this the, the way that these teams are this year, I'm buying Madden twenty three. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, oh same yeah. game all oh, same game every year. I'm like, yeah, so what? I'm running I'm playing as the Miami Dolphins doing these rub routes every single time. I will play as the Raiders and throw the ball to Devontae Adams twenty times. <laughs> I I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> Because you know I'm right. That's wild. What? <laughs> I, I, still, I know who I'm playing with. I still miss Mando 7. I feel like Mando 7 was incredible. Yeah. The, the reason why I missed it is because I can play as the Chargers. Wildcat offense, little Danny Thompson and Antonio Cromartie. I hated that. <laughs> I was not a fan of it. Oh, why not? Tell me why you weren't a fan of it. You said something why I wasn't a fan of it? Yeah, tell me. We're not doing this right now. No, 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 no. Well, we are doing this right now. You got a you got a mic. We're live on radio in the greater Philadelphia area. Air out your grievances, my brother. We are doing this. You was cheating. How I was cheating. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. You mean I, I was cheating. How I was cheating. You was cheating. How? How my behind? How you were cheating? Inform me. A wild guy. Inform me how you're I. You're a wild guy. Inform me for these accusations that you are making. What you're mad because I decided to use the best two natural athletes that the Chargers had to offer in a wildcat position. So by that logic, everybody who picked Michael Vick and the Falcons in 04 was cheating, then, right? Yes. Le- legitimately, yes. Okay. So by that logic, everybody who picked Pablo Sanchez and backer and backer sports was cheating, right? People who picked Bo Jackson, Tecmo Bowl was cheating, right? Literally, that's a thing that people. That's the thing that people of that era say. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> like, like, like actual, like down to a T. Yes. <laughs> be your own people. You just hating. Oh, it be your own. People. Yeah, you. You just hating. We could check this up right now. Forget all this Madden 07 stuff. I I'm not liking it. We could check this up right now. Check what? We could check this up right now. You know how long it takes Madden to download? You did you lead it off the system? I, I had to. <sighs> all those updates. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not about to do all that. I'm just like, uh, I'm like, I'm like, you clearly have enough space to do this. You're just being spiteful right now. I'm not doing this. But <laughs> it'd be like that. Listen. But no, listen, Antonio Camardi at 99 speed. I'm not you really think I'm not gonna use that on offense? No, yes, I'm going to. You're just mad because I was ahead of the curve. All that chip all that stuff we saw from like Chip Kelly, you know, the Shanahan's and all that stuff, you were just mad because I was thought I was ahead of the curve. That's all it was. I bought NFL Street I bought NFL Street and NFL Street 2 to Madden. That's all it was. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done for the day. I'm signing off. <laughs> oh, man. I think he really is done. <laughs> oh, man. Good times, but... 
I know this is going to sound ridiculously old, but I kind of... Those days in which you had the ability to be creative in those type of games and in those type of environments, I kind of missed it. You know, I kind of miss, you know, EA Sports Big, you know, NBA Street 2, Volume 2, NFL Street 2, you know, even Ballers. I never had... (laughs) I miss the Halos, the San Andreas, and all that. Where all you got to do is just put three cheat codes in, and CJ CJ Johnson's unstoppable. <laughs> yeah, Radio Los Santos, one of the all-time goat music playlists in video game history. Should be on Mount Rushmore, honestly, in terms of video game music. Let me take a trip back memory lane. Saturday morning, you wake up, get a nice bowl of your favorite cereal. What is Cookie Crisp or Captain Crunch? Go down. You go downstairs. Cookie Crisp is literally just cookies in a bowl of milk. That's not a cereal. You watch your mouth. Lay back down. (laughs) Next thing you know, it's it's 8 o'clock. Turn on Kids WB. Saturday morning. Episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! comes on. And then around that time, it's Yu-Gi-Oh! Battle City. So all the stakes are on the line. And it's that duel where it's Joey versus Odeon, where both of them get hit by lightning. And then you got to wait until next week now to wonder if either one of those guys is going to make it back up. Then Static Shock comes on. And then you're just like, yo, this is dope. A black superhero. Listen, this is, the, this is for the culture segment right now. And then next thing you know, you got an hour of Jackie Chan Adventures. Just an entire hour of Jackie just apologizing while I just put your foot in there behind. <laughs> then it's Pokemon. <laughs> you just watch. <laughs> and then it's that, you know that Pokemon episode. It's that Pokemon episode where it's Charizard versus Blaziken. And you're just like, you know what? This might waver my faith as a Charizard fan. <laughs> Good times, man. Good times. Then after that, you turn on the PS2, and then you just put, just put on. Then you just play NFL Street with your creative player, and you just run the city. Or you play Def Jam Vendetta and try to figure out how to be Fat Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yo, let me ask you a question. Who was tougher in like in terms of final bosses? Fat Joe or Tech or uh Heihachi from Tekken? First of all, Fat Joe was never one of the final bosses. I'm saying in terms of And also he was one of the bosses in Def Jam New York, not Vendetta. D Mob was the boss in Vendetta. Ah. Um I don't know. I've, tra- I've thrashed Heihachi multiple times. Yeah. Same with Kazuya. I don't know. For me, now I just want to play Tekken. Yeah. How does, no, for me, in terms of Tekken, I always had a lot easier time beating Ogre and True Ogre. Heihachi, lightning comes up. Next thing you know, he just hits you with like a four hit combo that takes like 
every bit of health. All you got to do is just hit you one more time, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but... But, uh, but back to sports real quick. Um, so there's potential talks, not talks, like nothing's concrete or confirmed yet, but there's also been, you know, talks on shows about them potentially shortening the NBA season. They don't have a solid number yet. I've heard 58 games. Um, to me, if they were to shorten the season, if they didn't have no choice, I'd say 72 is a good number. So... Are you a fan of them potentially shortening the season? I really don't care, to be honest. I just think um, whatever we got to do to stop all these injuries and, you know, I know you can't stop injuries. They're a part of sports. But just kind of like find a way that the NBA season isn't so labor-intensive to the point that by the time we get to the playoffs, you've lost half the people you really want to see play in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Because that, that Warriors-Grizzlies series got really uninteresting after Ja went down. Yep. All right. Um I think that's I think that's it for today. I think that's where that's where we're gonna end it at. Um, for the remaining rest of the time, I'm going to be playing an interview that I did earlier this year, back in February, um, with Sixers broadcaster. Over the last 25 years, he just recently retired last season with Mark Zumoff. So for the rest of the time, the 20 the near half hour interview that I did with Mark Zumoff is going to be playing on the air. Once again, this has been Chris Thomas. Jamal Thomas. This has been the Run Bass Sports Show, Sports for the Culture, every Tuesday from now, from 6 to 8 Eastern, p.m. Eastern. We will see you next week. Ilya Sova, by the way, covering Anthony. Henderson on Rose. Derek Rose cut off, gives it up. They swing to Porzingis in the game for three, air balls it. Loose ball taken by Henderson. Sixers don't call the timeout. Here's Ilya Sova. Here's McConnell. Can he get it off? Yes! And the Sixers win it! What's going on, everybody? This is Christopher Thomas from 98.5 WJYN, the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture, every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. I am extremely excited to bring in my special guest, the voice for the Philadelphia 76ers for the past 25 years plus, and is now just enjoying his day-to-day life. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Mark Zumoff. How are you doing, Mark? Thank goodness I'm the one and only. Thank goodness I'm the one and only one. I got to tell you, I don't know if the world could deal with more than one of me, but are you going old school on me with the top that you're wearing this morning? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, my Thank family it, my family knows that I'm a big 4 for 4 Philadelphia sports fan, so, like, the throwback stuff is, uh, you know, definitely a customary thing for uh, my attire every day. <laughs> I could see the late Daryl Dawkins wearing that in the layup line, you know, the old bell. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually got to uh yeah, the draft party a few years ago, uh the twenty fifteen one, you know, he was there and I got the chance to take a picture with him. May he rest in peace. What a great guy and someone who is sorely missed to this day for sure. Absolutely. And probably one of the greatest nicknames of all time. Oh, absolutely. And had great nicknames for his dunks as well. Yeah. So um the your announcement to retire, uh not only it, it took me by surprise because I I did not see that comment. I logged in on Twitter uh that day and I see that uh we like to thank uh Mark Zumo for a service. I'm like, wait, what? Um, so was this something that you've already had planned into the works or was this something that's just like, you know what, I just can't do this anymore? Well, it wasn't like that. It was actually more the former in that I signed a contract, a three-year contract. And as soon as I signed that, I had a feeling that this was going to be the last one. And after the first year of the three-year deal, I pretty much made up my mind that it would be so... I began to set in motion a lot of what I would need post-retirement, whether it was working opportunities or charitable opportunities. And then about a year before it happened, I began to tell my bosses and gradually we made and worked a plan. And uh, it was all planned, rest assured. And I left on my own terms, thank goodness, and enjoyed every second of it. But right now I'm enjoying every second of retired life as well. So after you retired and then like you woke up that following day, did it really sink in? That was like, man, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. Or it's like, it's a kind of like a sigh of relief where it's like, I get to, you know, do other stuff and like venture to other projects. You know, Chris, it wasn't too unlike while I was doing the games, people would ask me in July or August, Hey, you ready to go back to work? Well, no. But come October, when the days get shorter and the weather gets cooler and the leaves start to turn, yeah, I'll definitely be ready because that's the rhythm of my life. And so it was the same really for retirement in that people were asking me, well, do you miss it? And it was hard to because I hadn't really experienced the fall or seeing Sixers games on TV without me. Once that happened, um, it really wasn't that weird. I had the experience of watching the Sixers on TV without me when there were national games or when I, in the rare occasion, I would have to miss a game. So I, I was ready and um, I, I left, I guess, uh, before a lot of people thought I should have, only because I guess I could still do it. And um, that, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to be able to step away on my own terms and and leave before my skills and my uh, my smarts began to go away. So the, the fact that you've been doing this for a really long time was, I guess, in kind of way kind of shaped you into, you know, being a Sixer fan. So when did, at first, it stop being a job for you and then it became something, like, you started to, like, truly love and truly appreciate? When I was a kid growing up in Northeast Philly, this is something that I always wanted to do. My father took me to a game the first year the team moved from Syracuse in 1963. And from that point on, I was hooked in basketball for the rest of my life would become my favorite sport. I will say that if you're lucky, like I was, 
you enter a profession that you love being passionate about it and feeling as though it is not a job. There are certainly points along the way where you do feel as though it is an occupation. But I know for me, whenever that feeling came over me, I would kind of slap myself and say, you know, what are you doing? You know, there, there's no humdrum about this. Yes, it's time consuming. Yes, there's a lot of travel. Yes, there's a lot of preparation before a game. But you do it first and foremost out of love. And then every couple of weeks, you happen to get a paycheck. So there would be a little drudgery or the occasional game where, oh, I got to do this again, fourth, fourth game in five nights. But I quickly realized how lucky I was and that feeling went away. I know how you feel. My dad took me to my first Sixer game um, back in 2001 when I was eight years old. Um, I got to saw Allen Iverson live for the first time going up against Gary Payton back when, you know, the Supersonics were still in Seattle. And I just absolutely just fell in love with the game. And this is also something that I've been wanting to do since I was a kid also. And, you know, you watching you, you know, call the games live throughout the entire years also seeing Harry Collis do it for the Phillies, Merrill Reese for the Philadelphia Eagles, and even, like, on my walks home from work and listening to Tom McGinnis because I didn't have a TV available, it, it shaped me to, like, you know, this is why I love uh, sports. This is why I want to get into the, the sports world. So uh, just a little sidebar, I want to say thank you for that. It's funny you would say that, Chris, because – First of all, all the power to you and keep going and don't stop until life tells you to stop. But for me, um, when I hear that, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. You never know how much you're influencing people. I did go to my first game of the season the other night, and I have to say with as much humility as I can muster that, that the love in the building that night, uh, seeing old faces, old friends, former players, current players, what have you, was just, um, you know, it was great for me to be able to do something like that. But the thing that really gets overwhelming are the fans who you really don't know, who because you were in their homes on a nightly basis and were there for some pretty important moments in team history that meant a lot to them, then you become meaningful to them as well. So um, I never try to stop appreciating that. And... Um, it's, it's one of the parts of the job that uh, if you just do your job, you really don't think about until you have nights like the other night when you, uh, when you revisit the past. So with that, so with that, like, you know, meeting old coworkers, speaking of former coworkers, you got an opportunity to work with several color commentaries over the years, former Sixer, Eric Snow, Malik Rose, and recently I let have Nabby. So I know this is going to be kind of like picking like, um, when like you ask parents like yo who's your favorite children so like who has been like your favorite uh, broadcast partner over the years you're right it is like being asked to pick your favorite child and quite honestly i i love them all for various and sundry reasons i'll speak with Allah because he was the last and i think i had tremendous chemistry with him and i owe a lot of that to him because he's affable he knows a lot about the game and he's really bright and he's very friendly and those are just great prerequisites for any kind of a relationship in any sort of occupation. So he made it very easy for me. And after you start doing games together, you kind of, you know, it's like playing together. You learn each other's moves and habits and where you like the ball on the court and that sort of thing. So 
it was pretty much the same. You get into a, a rhythm where uh, you kind of know where your jokes are going or you know what he's thinking and it becomes even more pleasurable. So uh, I, I, that's one of the things that I miss is the chemistry that I had with Ala. And um, I, I'm very fond of the time that we, we had together. And that's one of the things that uh, if I, if I, if I had retired, I would continue to revel in, but um, I, I know that I did the right thing for me. And it's like anything else. When you make a move such as the kind that I did, you have to leave some things behind. And that's one of the things that um, I'm still endeared to. So uh, in regards to, uh, you know, Allah's new partner, uh, Kate Scott, did you get the opportunity to meet Kate Scott before the announcement was her becoming a new play-by-play -play voice or did you meet her afterwards? I have authored a textbook on sports casting, sports media, and we just completed a second edition and I first actually had the chance to meet and speak with Kate. She was kind enough to do an interview for the book. And then when I understood that she was a candidate, we connected then, albeit briefly on email or texting, and then uh, when she got the job and she had moved to Philly right after one of the Sixers uh, training camp sessions, we went out to lunch. We had an awesome time. We bonded then. We've been out to dinner since. I met her wife. She's a terrific person and an excellent broadcaster. I think it's just a matter of time before Sixer fans embrace her as I was embraced. Um, I think it just takes our fans some time to get used to the fact that I'm not there anymore. And also the fact that she's a woman, not that that should be um, a precursor to, you know, them loving her. I mean, she's, she's a great broadcaster and she really, I think uh, has embraced the city and the team. So I think it's just a matter of time before she's readily identifiable as the voice of the Sixers. And I'm just some guy who used to do the games back in the day. So, um, you know, over the years, um, your zooisms was, have you, like, kept track in terms of, like, you know, your signature calls, like, hold on, we're coming in for a landing, I'm in no particular hurry, turning garbage into gold. Um, was that something where it's like, okay, I got this idea that uh, for, for a game, I'm going to use it, and how did it, like, you know, come all together? I spent 13 years before I called the games as the halftime host. And so I did a lot of writing, a lot of scripting of features. And all of that helped me to get a greater command of the English language. I also enjoy writing and reading other writers and reading books. And so I'm not very good at math, but I think I have a pretty decent grasp of the English language and vocabulary in general. So. I began to understand that people could already see what was happening on the floor. So what is it that I can do to sort of embellish that or add a layer to it? And I discovered that those sayings were one way to do that. And so not necessarily intentionally, but um, there was just a cognitive process as the game went along where if there was a particular play, I would uh, come up with a phrase that would describe that other than, you know, he takes... Uh, an offensive rebound and puts it back. So he's turning garbage into gold is what that would be. Or uh, instead of, hey, fans, uh, you know, hold on, buckle your seatbelts or something like that. It's hang on, Oliver, coming in for a landing. 
So um, I enjoyed that part of it. I think people enjoyed that part of it. And now I actually have a beer, believe it or not. And uh, if you, it's a, being brewed by the Conchhock and Brewing Company. It's available now. And a lot of the sayings are on the side of that beer can. So it's, uh, it's kind of surreal to see it. But uh, all in all, I've been, uh, I, I, I've been happy with, uh, and I'm transitioning now to the beer. I'm happy with the fact that um, we're selling beer and we're, we're benefiting a charity called Philadelphia Youth Basketball. That's great. I got to give me a six pack, man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Or, you know, we're having a, a benefit. Uh, this coming Tuesday, the Sixers will play the Celtics. That'll be on TV. And Kotrock and Brewing has a store called Puddler's Kitchen and Tap. It's in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right across the river from Norristown. And 20% of the food and beverage sales that night are going to go to Philadelphia Youth Basketball, which is a great organization. So, um, over the years, I know it's kind of hard to keep track of, like, you know, your your, your best and your favorite calls. Uh, particularly, my favorite call is definitely, uh, you know, the Game 1 series against the Orlando Magic. Iguodala hits that uh, turnaround midway jumper over Hito Turkoglu, and the way you just said yes, like, just was pu is publicly ingrained in my head for the rest of my life. So, um, and if you had the... Uh, put down like one of your favorite calls, probably the favorite call that you've ever made in your entire uh, broadcasting career. Like, what would that be? Iguodala definitely gave us some thrills. Um, you know, I saw Alan Iverson just the other night and I have the same conversation with him all the time. He was very kind in his Hall of Fame speech to acknowledge me. And I said to him, yeah, but I wouldn't have been able to do that without the great material that you gave me. So obviously he provided a lot of highlights as well. Uh, believe it or not, one of my favorite calls was T.J. McConnell when he beat the Knicks at Wells Fargo Center. The Sixers were just beginning to be relevant. That was the 28-win season. And my all-time favorite game involved Iverson. It was game one of the uh, NBA playoffs, the first round back in 2019. That was, oh, I beg your pardon, that was 1999. And that was the first um, playoff game at the current building. I think that was the first Union Center. Uh, Iverson in that game had an NBA record 10 steals and the Sixers upset the Orlando Magic and went on to win the series as a six seed. The Magic, they were three seeds. So those are some of the highlights, but uh, there are many, many highlights. I, just the fact that I did this as a kid growing up in Northeast Philly for 27 years, it was really a 27-year-long highlight. And, you know, being, you know, being, you know, being from the area. So obviously we've had some highs, but more importantly, we've definitely had some lows. So if you had to probably point down uh, probably one of the more unfortunate uh, events, uh, basketball games in uh, Sixers history, uh, what would you have to say probably like your least favorite game in Sixers history was? Well, I'll say this. Um we had some long losing streaks. We ended up setting an NBA record. There was a 10-win season during the process years under Brett Brown. Uh, there were some slim times before Iverson came to town. Those first two John Lucas years where players were kind of going in and out. I can't say there was one game that I remember specifically that was, um, you know, a game that bummed me out the most, let's say. But 
I do remember one of the weirdest games ever was involving Charles Barkley at the end of his career. He came in with the Houston Rockets and he ended up, um, I think he suffered a, a detached quadriceps tendon, if I remember correctly. And it kind of finished his career. He later came back, and I think he played a single game just to put a stamp on his career. But, uh, you know, the Sixers were going to honor him. I think it was uh, everybody knew it was going to be his last year. And, um, you know, he ends up playing one half, and then the rest of the game was literally played like in a haze. It was really the weirdest thing. So that's one of the um, weirder games, shall we say, that I remember in my career. You know, over the past few years, the Sixers have made deep runs in the playoffs only to, you know, lose in heartbreaking fashion in game sevens. Uh, so if you had to pick like a worse uh, game seven in terms of losing, would that for you, would it be the Kawhi Leonard four bounce uh, basket or, you know, last year, what you saw with the uh, Atlanta Hawks? For shocking endings, I don't think anything can top the Kawhi Leonard shot. It was just a bizarre ending to a basketball game. And I'll say this. Uh, I have a friend who is a well-respected journalist based in Toronto. And he has opinions that I trust. And he believed that had that game gone into overtime, the Sixers had a really good chance of winning it because he thought the Raptors were gassed at that point. And somehow Kawhi found a way to win. Uh, the Atlanta game seven. Uh, bizarre, certainly by the Ben Simmons refusal to, you know, dunk the ball with two minutes to go in the game or thereabouts. So that was kind of crazy as well. Um, but I, they're almost on equal footing, though. I would have to say, Chris, for sheer shock value, the Kawhi Leonard thing probably uh, nosed out last year's Game 7 loss against the Hawks. Yeah, uh, my best friend and uh, my broadcast partner, he called me after the game and I didn't say anything for like 30 minutes. He was just like, <laughs> like I, I was at a bar, like on 30th and market. I watched the game. I saw the shot. I paid my tab. I left. I didn't say anything for 30 minutes. He was like, are you okay? And I just didn't say anything until like after 30 minutes. I'm like, did that just happen? <sighs> right. I, I, I don't, I don't blame you. And I, I, listen, I, I think there was a 30 minute, silence and mass among Sixer fandom just because of the disbelief. But, you know, now that uh, Daryl Morey has made this trade, I think there's renewed hope in Philadelphia and it's going to be an exciting finish to the season. I'm speaking of that, you know, James Harden is now to Philly. You get a nice pick and roll combination with him and Joel and B probably the best pick and roll uh, duo now in the league, probably, i.e. probably outside of lobby LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, when this trade finally happened yesterday at like around like 12 31 o'clock uh, what was your initial reaction that daryl morey finally got his man a guy who i think he has coveted ever since he became uh the head basketball man with the 76ers he acquired harden the first time when he was a sixth man with oklahoma city and harden proceeded to carve out a hall of fame career as a houston rocket now he's not the player he was when he was with the rockets but He's still an all-star. You're right about the pick-and-roll combination. It really looks good on paper. Harden runs the pick-and-roll just so well because he's great uh, dribbling in traffic. He's a very good decision-maker. That said, he does get a share of turnovers. He's an excellent passer. He averages double-digit assists. 
And he has an uncanny way of, in those situations, when nothing much else is happening, getting people to foul him. I think the Sixers are going to end up leading the league, or they could very well end up leading the league, between Embiid and Harden in free throws attempted per game, uh, just based on those two guys. But this is an opportunity now to pair Joel Embiid with a Hall of Famer. And, you know, there are some long-term ramifications. Uh, from what I read now, Harden is ready to opt into the last year of his deal, which is going to pay him a lot. And the question is, you know, after that, do the Sixers retain his services? Of course, a lot's going to depend on how he plays, how he looks at the age of 33, and, and the success of the team and his ability to meld with Embiid. But for now, it's got Sixer fans really excited. They did lose a really good shooter in Seth Curry. Let's not forget that. And they lost an excellent backup in Andre Drummond. You're going to have to figure out a way to make up for that, or at least uh, partially so. But in the meantime, I, this is a, a great acquisition, and I can't wait for Hard to put on the red, white, and blue. So in closing, um, what, what did you make of this entire uh, Ben Simmons saga, you know, after the Game 7 and, you know, not being able to want any sort of contact with Doc Rivers or like Joel Embiid, the rest of the team, to him sitting out and now that he's gone? I think that we all, to some degree, have mental health issues. It just depends on can you handle it yourself on a day-to-day -day basis or do they run deeper where you need intervention? I'm not going to judge Ben Simmons on where he was in that scale. But I think it was pretty clear, and he wasn't the greatest free throw shooter, but at least he was in the 60% range. He was down in the 30% range. And, of course, he passed up a dunk with two minutes to go in a game seven. So to me, uh, for a professional basketball player to experience that, that is an indication that, yes, perhaps, uh, you know, the mental, mental part of life is interceding with, uh, you know, his professional part, and he's – like all of us is going to need some level of assistance. Um, I, I think it was handled a little bit clumsily, you know, the demanding of the trade and, and, and eventually backing himself into a corner and not playing for, you know, more than half of a season. But you know, the human being in me says, um, while I know Ben Simmons is probably going to get a rude reception on March 10th when the Nets come to Wells Fargo Center, um, you know, I wish him, I wish him the best. I hope that he that he rediscovers his game and and you know has a good career. You have to remember now it's a pretty good uh, trio up there with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and I think probably a little bit more complimentary as it relates to everybody's skill set. And here's a guy who unlike Harden who is not known as a very good defensive player can pretty much guard all five positions. So I wish him all the best and uh, but right now my focus is on South Philly. So, and uh, so, um, where can, oh, excuse me, um, so um, now the fact that, you know, you stepped away from the commentary booth, uh, I saw that you took in um, a, a somewhat of a teaching uh, position at Temple. Uh, would you like to elaborate more on that? Sure. I'm doing two things with Temple. I'm teaching a play-by-play -play class, and I am also the associate director of the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media. Claire Smith, for those who don't know, is a Hall of Fame baseball writer, the first woman and woman of color to be so inducted or honored by the Hall of Fame. And she's a Temple grad, so she's been gracious enough to come back and allow us to name this program after her. 
And basically the program is going to try to expand Temple's footprint in the world of sports media education. And that includes a special emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It includes an emphasis on research and being a thought leader. And it certainly includes um, an emphasis on the academic piece. So that is keeping me plenty busy. And, um, you know, I've, people think you're retired and you're just sitting around waiting for your next tea time. But quite to the contrary, I'm, I'm very busy. The only thing is I'm not traveling and I'm not working on nights and weekends. Uh, so, uh, Mark, once again, you know, thank you for you know taking the time to do this interview. It's been definitely not months, but like years in the making ever since I met you. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we finally got it together. That, that, that is an indication of your persistence. Good for you. Yeah. You know, like, like, like you said, you know, once it, once you find you some, once you find something you love, you know, it never feels like work ever again. That's the truth, my friend. All right. Uh, Mark, once again, uh, thank you. Um, enjoy, you know, the, the rest of your days, uh, um, those people, those students down at Temple are very fortunate to have you now. And uh, let's go Sixers. Let's go Sixers. Chris, thanks so much for having me.